of. Now, you probably are all sitting here and thinking you know exactly what the word love means, and you're thinking like, ooh, Mary, I do great loving people. Oh, that's awesome. We'll ask you that again when I'm done teaching, right? Because sometimes I think that as Americans who watch a lot of romantic movies, I'm just saying, maybe you guys don't, but for us ladies, right, we confuse love with passion or we confuse love with desire, right? So if there's somebody in our life who's not desiring us, right, we don't feel loved. Well, no, you are probably being loved, but you're just not in a relationship where somebody is desiring you. Desire is something you see in a relationship. You must have two different people desiring each other for a passionate relationship. Because there's lots of people who have one-sided desires, right? There might be a teenager who desires Paula Abdul. I know, she's, I'm, I'm dating myself here. <laughs> Okay, maybe there's some 60-year-old men who really desire Paula Abdul, right? Who's, who's somebody current? Like, who, who would... Okay, Andrew. Come on. He's, now he's going to, like, start laughing. Who is a young person today that I don't even know exists? Well, who, who would you say if you were to say the average teenage boy desires who? You don't know? Paris Hilton? I don't know. She's, she's kind of older now, too, isn't she? Yeah, okay, all right, well, we'll call her Susie Smith, right? We'll say Fred, who goes to the high school in town, loves Susie Smith, but Susie Smith doesn't even know he exists, right? That's not a relationship. That's just, like, one-sided, right? He's just got this obsession with Susie Smith. Um, but that's not love. Desiring somebody isn't love. Now, you might lust after the person, you might be in a relationship where you desire this person, they desire you, and there's passion, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's love there. But we like, have this thought that love is a feeling, and it's how I feel, because we say it that right way, right? I love you. But it's not a feeling. I mean, even if you think about it, like, Sadness is a feeling, right? You don't say, I sad you. I have sad, you know, you might say, I have sadness for you, but we say, I love you. Love is actually an action, right? Love is God. Let's, let's, and we're going to look here at a lot of different scriptures, but we know it says God is love. And the character of who God is, we can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about what love is. Love protects. Well, God protects, right? Love is patient. Well, God is patient with us. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Well, what did he do? He sent Jesus to cover up our multitude of sin. So God is love, but how we love somebody comes out in our actions. Now, love is so important, and love is so powerful that in the... In the 1950s, 60s, 70s, when people started doing this like child development and realizing like, oh, maybe the reason why we have issues as an adult has something to do with our childhood. They began doing all this research. And Abraham Maslow came up with this hierarchy of needs. And he said, not only do children have this, but we all have these needs 
that have to be met. And at the bottom of it is just shelter, food, water, right? If, if you just, if you don't get it up and have, if you haven't eaten in three days, you can't even think about the rest of your needs because you're just, all you're obsessed with is eating. If you have no shelter, all you're thinking about is being covered. And then, but the next one is then safety, right? A person could be in an apartment and have food and have shelter, but if they don't feel safe, if somebody is in the apartment with them that's constantly beating them up, again, they can't move their way up. But the third thing, after making sure you're fed and have shelter and you're safe, is love. It says a sense of belongingness and love. When you feel loved, you feel like you belong. You feel like somebody wants you there because somebody is doing this action towards you. And then the other, the other needs kind of go up. And at the top, it's the self-actualization. It's like, okay, this is who I am. I can actually figure this out and understand myself. But most of us never get to the top because we don't get past that love stage. And so we look for it, right, in all these different ways. We look for it in passion or desire and all these different things. Now, we know that love is action, and so there's five different ways that Gary Chapman has said that he's a Christian author, that we show love to somebody else. Physical touch, words of affirmation, time, we also have service, right, where you're, you're doing action, and gifts. So those were five things that he saw in relationships with people. Again, it wasn't passion, it wasn't desire. It was a physical action that somebody would do for somebody else. And when you figured out your spouse's love language and you did those things that, that made them feel loved, he would see this radical transformation in their relationships. Because that person that was receiving that love, right, was able to get beyond that hierarchy of needs. That is a need. People need love. And so we, though, as Christians, are told to love others. Now, we, obviously, we need it, but we are also told to give it. So if we look here in John chapter 13... And verse 35, Jesus was talking here. Now, 34, which you won't have up there, but it says, the new commandment I give you, right? Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And we know that verse, right? First one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Second is like it, he says. I love that how it's like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Jesus is reminding them before he goes to the cross, Remember, I've told you to love one another. But verse 35 is really important. Why? Well, it's not 30. Yeah, it is 35. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if you lived here today in modern-day America and you said that statement, that would make no sense because on average, we all know how to treat each other with kindness and with love and respect because we're Judeo-Christian society and we were founded on biblical principles. But at the time of Jesus, that is not how people lived. 
the Jews themselves had the, the, the laws, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What does that mean? If you got into a fight with somebody and they knocked out your tooth, you were allowed to knock out their tooth. And now Jesus comes along and he is saying, oh, if somebody slaps you on your cheek, turn and let them slap you on the other. Don't slap them back, right? If somebody comes and takes your coat, go ahead and give them your shirt as well. And he is all of a sudden transforming their response to the people around them. And he's saying, when you do this, they will know you are a follower of Christ. The culture at the time used to throw away orphans and widows. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and the Christians say, true religion is taking care of orphans and widows. When Jesus talked at the end of Matthew, I think it's 25, 31 through 46, says that, you know, at the end of the days, the king is going to sit on his throne and he's going to gather up everyone and he's going to separate the goats from the sheep. And he's going to look at the goats and he's going to say, when I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was in jail, you did not visit me. All this stuff, right? He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And they're like, Lord, when did we ever do that for you? not do that for you? And then he says, when you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And then he says, turns to those that is right, the sheep. And he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Come into my kingdom. And they said, when did we do that for you, Lord? And he said, when you did it for the least of these. Now, this totally blew away the disciples because that was, again, not the culture they lived in. And so as they began to go out as Christians, they started orphanages. We see in the book of Acts how they started food programs for the widows. They began doing things that nobody else around them ever did. They did an action. They loved. We, as modern-day Americans, now we're here at the Dream Center, and that's because you know, we're, we're choosing to worship in a, in a unique way, and we're spending our time and our resources during the week to help and to love, and so obviously this is near and dear to my heart. But the average person that's out there and hears about what we do, they just think, oh, that's cool, it's another service organization, right? I mean, literally, in the United States of America, right, there's the United Way, there's Salvation Army, there's all these places that now do this, and that's all been founded on... Christian principles. Think about something as simple as the Red Cross. The Red Cross is now sent out as a government entity from the United States of America, like it's endorsed by the government, right? And it, it, is, it has permission to go out. I remember during World War II, at the end of it, my mother was German and she had fallen in love with an American soldier. And the only way she could get information back and forth was through the Red Cross. The Red Cross throughout Germany had different stations set up. And because it was like this new, it was like Switzerland, right? You know, that all these different governments recognized, oh, the Red Cross is coming in. All they want to do is help people. Now, when we think about the Red Cross, you think nothing about religion. But why is it a Red Cross? Because it was founded as a Christian organization. And the cross literally represented the cross of Christ. And so we now, you know, people see us and they just think, oh, wow, you're doing something nice, which is fine. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. But we as Christians know that Jesus said that when you love, people will know you're my disciple. That is how important it is. I give you this new command to love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? To love one another. I love this. 
I love that I love this, right? A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. But here's the thing. What does it mean to love? Does it mean just putting out coats in the wintertime? Is that how our neighbors know that we're different? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 tells us a little bit more here about love. Let's see if I can find it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's a powerful statement. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This was such a big deal, because God is love. God comes in and he transforms how we treat people. Why? Because we're in relationship with him. And this is the very nature and character of who he is. And it's different, again, than how we have that relationship with the people around us, right? Again, it's not desire, it's not passion. Love is a decision that you make in how you treat people. Because they don't deserve it, and love is one-sided. You don't love somebody because they love you. You love somebody because love is God, and God is love, and you know God, and God is how you're going to live your life. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, means that you are going to walk out your life as he did. But that takes self-discipline. I love how when we accept Christ, we get the Holy Spirit that fills us. And some of the fruits of the Spirit, right, are love, joy, kindness, humility, gentleness, self-control. You have to be self-controlled to have somebody spit in your face and not punch their lights out. Seriously, like, most of us would not, not handle that well. Now, does that mean we're always perfect and some of us haven't reacted when somebody's done something to us? You're still a Christian. You're learning that self-control, right? You can have a fruit, and it's not developed yet. It's not quite ripe yet, right? I've, ever, I've had a lot of green bananas. They're still bananas, but they're not ripe yet. But here's the thing. When we walk in love, it changes our reactions. It changes our actions. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't change the fact that love protects, and you got to have boundaries, but it does change your initial thoughts and how you react and how you act towards others. We see in Luke chapter 10 the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to look at that. Some of you might be familiar with this, maybe not. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus would tell parables. What were parables, Mary? Parables were stories. We go to the movies. And Jesus didn't have a DVD player, so he would tell the stories orally. And so he would try to get people to understand a lesson by telling them a story. So we see here in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, or this is what happened. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
Teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So the man asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Right? Maybe there's just certain people I have to love as I love myself. There's certain people I don't. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, Jesus actually goes on here and he says, which of these three do you think were a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What's interesting is in this parable, if you understand the culture, one of the most important details we, we overlook as Americans is the fact that the man was stripped of his clothes. He was naked. In their culture, the clothes represented your status in life, right? There were certain colors that only the rich people had. There were certain things that only a slave would wear. And so by finding a naked man, it wasn't like you knew whether or not this guy could ever repay you. You didn't know whether or not this person would deserve it, right? Because this guy's asking, who is my neighbor? He's not necessarily saying that the people who are beaten and unconscious are the only ones you have to love. By saying the man was naked, he's saying any person. There's nothing that should denote who you love and who you don't love. Anyone who is around you. And how did the man love it? It didn't say that, oh, and he went and prayed for him and then walked away, right? We, are, we actually read in the New Testament, I don't know if it was Peter or Paul or who, who it was, probably it was Paul, where he says, like, it doesn't really matter if you just say, I'm praying for you, but then do no actions. That doesn't help. As Christians, how people see us us loving somebody else and knowing then that we are Christians, followers of Christ, is our actions. So the Samaritan, which there's a whole lesson there about why he used a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan as his examples, but the Samaritan was like the least likely in the Jewish culture to go out of his way to help somebody because the Jewish people didn't view him as somebody who is really following God's word correctly because they would kind of do things a little bit differently. And Jesus is making another point there. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect to love somebody else. 
you who wherever you're at, wherever you are in life, you can treat someone else well when they are in need. So then the question then always goes back to how? How do we love others? What are we doing that is loving others? This is so clear that even in the book of Romans, as Paul is writing to the Roman church about um, what, what they should be doing for each other. And it says in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Romans is an interesting letter because we have Jewish Christians and we have Gentile Christians, and the Gentile Christians are being told by the Jewish Christians that they have to follow the law to be saved. So they had written Paul, and so Paul goes back and forth addressing the two different groups in this letter. I really recommend, if you want to really study the book of Romans, to read it in its entirety. I know that sounds like a big deal, but it would probably take you maybe an hour, if that, to sit down and read it from chapter 1 all the way to the end. But what we see here is he is saying, look, when you love, you are fulfilling all of the law. So you Jewish Christians who are saying they have to follow the law to be saved, they don't. They, They believe in Jesus, and the law didn't save you. You need to believe in Jesus as well. But if you're concerned that we need to follow the law to be a good person or to be blessed, as long as they are walking in love, they're going to fulfill all of the law. And, and he, he gives us all of this advice, right? Like, don't take out loans and owe people things because then now, in that culture, right, if you didn't pay back your loan, they could throw you into jail. But he's saying you will have one debt, And it will be outstanding. And you will never be able to pay it off. And this is what y'all owe each other. So love. Why? Because Jesus paid a debt we could not pay. He loved us. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. So now, as we try to pay him back, he says, love everybody around you. So this verse here is so powerful. I mean, this whole chapters here, chapter 12, chapter um, 13, it talks about all this love, love fulfills the law, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So how do we love? How do we love our neighbors? I've lived in neighborhoods where I didn't talk to my neighbors for years, didn't even necessarily know their first names. I remember kind of getting to a point where it's like, okay, holidays are coming up. I'm going to make a point to try to do some sort of action to let my neighbors know that I love them. Now, you would think I would go buy some flour and make cookies and go drop it off, but that's not what I did. I just went to the store and bought some pies. (laughs) I know, I know. One day maybe I'll bake, but until I have more time on my hands, I'll just run by and buy some buy some things and put a little Christmas card in each of it and just said, you know, have, have, you know, Merry Christmas, whatever, and dropped off a pie to each person. Now, some of them, I never heard anything back. So do you think that means that I shouldn't ever communicate with that neighbor again? No. Love is not reciprocal. We do not need to have someone else love us back for us to love them. 
Now, if you desire someone, you need them to desire you back for there to be a relationship. But love can be one-sided. God's love for the world is one-sided. Most of us don't love him back. Those of us who do love him back are then have a relationship and a blessing because of that. But God's love continues to pour out on people who do not love him back. You were told to love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? The good Samaritan, he picked up that guy. I love how he didn't take him back to his house, right? There is boundaries and love. He took him to an inn and left him there so somebody else could care for him. And he went on his journey. But he didn't say, when he comes to and he can work, go ahead and have him clean out your stalls and your inn for a while in your barn that's attached to your inn until he can pay you back. No, he says, when I come back, if there's any money owed, I will pay you. Why is he doing He doesn't expect anything in return from that guy. Love was one-sided. It was all one-sided in that example. When the guy said to Jesus, who is my neighbor, right? How should I love? You just give. Don't expect anything in return. So then the following year or whatever later, the neighbors that didn't respond, guess what? I still brought them something. And I still brought them something, right? And I still invited them to a barbecue. But I had to, of course, follow that voice of the Lord to say, okay, I'm going to love my neighbors, and that means I have to do something. If I drive past my neighbor's house every single day and I just say the words in my car as I'm driving by, I love you, and I keep going, are they they ever going to know that? No. The only way to show your love is by doing some sort of action, by doing something that affects the person around you. Now, can we physically use our actions to love every single person we come in contact with? Probably not, because we live in a society in a day and age where, I don't know about you, but by the time I get it up, maybe run to the bank, go to the gas station, go do my grocery shopping, come into work, you know, stop, stop at a whatever, the auto shop on my way home to grab something and do this and that. I might come in contact with over 100 people. So I, I physically cannot go out of my way to do an action of love for every single person I meet. But my words, right, can be seasoned with love. My, the way I interact with people, the, the ability to hear from God and to recognize that those around me that I do need to go out of my way and do a little extra for I can be open to that. And so each and every single one of us has to figure out who our neighbor is and what that actually means. We have lots of neighbors here at the Dream Center, but we have one neighbor in particular that is in need. I guess I should forewarn you all now. We may be asked to go and help him clean out some, some things that have piled up. Now, If I were to call you up individually or come up on a Sunday and say, hey, next Saturday, can everybody give up two hours of their day to come down here? you got to bring work gloves, and you're going to get dirty, and it's going to be heavy, and it's going to be messy. Do you want to do that? Absolutely not. And some of you would only do it because I was asking you, right? And you might love me and be willing to do it for me, but you might not be willing to do it for that person, But that is how we change who we are and how we interact with people because most of the time when we begin to actually walk out loving strangers and they can't love us back, it feels so good. 
Why? Because you are being God. You are being his hands and feet. God is love. Those of you who say that you cannot love someone else do not know God. That's what that verse just said. That verse tells us that when we walk out love for somebody else, it's because we are walking out the actual essence of God. And that is so, so powerful. It is so, so powerful. So the only reason you should owe somebody anything is love. And to do something for them is love. Now, what if you get yourself in a situation where there's nobody in your life? Right? Maybe you just you don't get involved in anything. You're not around anybody. You've got just this small little world. That might be you. That might be why you, you come out to worship, so you can expand it. Start with who is around you. What are the needs around you? Pray about it. Maybe the Lord will put some. You know, usually when I pray about something, like if I said, like, Lord, who should I help today? I'll see a picture of them. Sometimes it's somebody I haven't even seen forever. Maybe they live on the other side of the country, and I got to, like, just call them up, talk to them. Maybe I just need to give them some encouragement. Find out, hey, what's going on in your life, right? Maybe I'll go on Facebook and see if there's anything new going on that I, that I may or may not have been aware of. You can find somebody to love, but it takes effort. 1 Corinthians, and you all know this, but we're going to read it anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Before I read chapter 13, I have to tell you, when you have time, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What's interesting about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that the entire chapter, well, most of the chapter, is about serving and the gifts that God has given us to serve each other in the church, right? The gift of prophecy or the gift of craftsmanship or the gift of um, all these different gifts, right? But at the end of chapter 12, he says, Paul does, that it doesn't matter how gifted you are and what God has given you if you don't walk in love It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how much you have. That you have to do these things with love. That this is the most excellent way. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I were to speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge... And if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, you just spent all this time talking about how great these gifts are from God and that we can walk with these supernatural gifts, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if we had faith that literally can move a mountain? And you know that person's got a gift of faith. So, like, I'm praying, I'm believing, I'm trusting God, but I'm going to have them agree with me. But they don't have love? doesn't matter they don't walk in love towards you, they're not going to come out of their way to come over to your house and lay hands on your sick daughter, are they? There's a lot of people that have a lot of gifts out there. They never use them for the good, for anybody else. Every single person sitting here has gifts from God. You've been promised a gift from the Lord. You are a different part of his body. Some of you are the kidneys, some of you are the liver, some of you are a big fat mouthpiece, right, that can never shut up. But here I am. 
But if you don't use that gift, does the body no good? Then we wonder why we're in diabetic coma all the time. Well, the pancreas didn't show up tonight. Just saying. So he says, if you have all these wonderful gifts, but you don't actually have love, does no good. If I give all that I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, Pastor Mary, you just told us that it's action, and that we got to help people in need. And now it's, he's saying, if you do that, but you don't do it out of love, you gain nothing. That's right. You can do it just because I told you to. You could do it just because you want a reward in heaven. You can do things that are right, but not for the right reasons. So if we're going to take the time to help, let's do it for the right reasons. Let's do it because we truly love the people. We don't judge them. We don't ask, why do they deserve it? We don't say, why are they in this situation? We just love because that is who God is, and God is in us, and God loves us when we don't deserve it, and when we, right, we can't answer any of those questions for ourselves. This is like a mind shift. This is hard. This is why Jesus said, when you learn how to love others, they will know you're my disciple. Why? Because you've allowed Jesus and his ways, God's Holy Spirit, to come in there and transform who you are and why you do it. He says, if I give everything I possess over the poor and I give my body to hardship that I may boast, look at me, I did the right thing, but I do not have love. I gain nothing. All right. So what is God? God is love. What is love? It's the character of God. So as I read through here, I love reading this and replacing the word love with God. But since we're talking today about love, I will say love. But I want you to think about this. This is God. This is the nature of God. This is, we are followers of God, and we are saying we want to live our life as a blessing to those around us. Love is patient. Mm, not in America, it's not. I mean, come on. We got fast food, we've got microwave. We literally now can go on our computer and order something and have it the next day. That's not love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not boast. God didn't know about Facebook. Sorry, just putting it out there. I'm on Facebook. I posted pictures of my son, homecoming. He looks so good. I was boasting. I'm not saying that I walk in love 100% of the time. My humanity shows up once in a while. I mean, I always got to say, oh, watch out, my humanity is showing. I'm not saying we can't boast. I'm saying we don't help people out to boast. We help people out because we love them. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. That really is a hard one. I should do a whole lesson on envy. Do we really know what the word envy means? We confuse it with jealousy, but envy is much worse. But love does not envy does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Oh, 
man, you can help somebody out and dishonor them so easily. Oh, man. You, you can literally go into a situation and bring a starving person food and dishonor them as you do it and embarrass them or, or do whatever. That one's hard. If we're going to truly love somebody, how do we honor them as we help them? I mean, this is real stuff we have to talk about, and I'm going way over on time, but love is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Love is not selfish. It is not easily angered. I love that one. I have it underlined in mind. Well, it's already highlighted, but it's also underlined. Love is not easily angered, which means love is angered. God gets angry. A lot of times he's mad at me. I'm like, really good, I'll try again. Thank you for forgiving me. It's okay. It's okay. Anger is okay. We think anger is this bad thing and that we should never get angry. And anger shows us something is wrong and we need to defend something. We need to change something. You should be angry when somebody is bullying your neighbor's son. And that anger should drive you to get out of your house and to walk over and say, hey, knock it off. I literally remember being like nine years old and with the neighbor kids and there was this fundraiser and they were selling these little tickets and we had this little cardboard box. There was a hole in the bottom, which she didn't realize. It had been raining. And by the time we had gone around the block, the older brothers had come over and counted the money with how many tickets we were and like, I don't know, 50 cents or whatever it was was missing. And we looked and we're like, oh, there's a hole in the bottom of the box. Well, they thought I stole it. And they literally started shoving me around. And I was tiny, and these were big, big kids. They were like maybe 10 or 12. I remember the neighbor guy coming out of his house and yelling at them and saying, what are you doing? Stop. And I ran home. Anger made him love me in that situation, and his love saved me. Do you allow anger to make you rise up and stand up for what is right? Because you love that person or you love that situation, right? You love. Love is not easily angered, which is, that's good. Don't just be angry about everything or we won't be able to make it through the week. I mean, seriously, it's exhausting when you do have anger finally rise up and you've got to stand up for something. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying you shouldn't do it necessarily every single day. It's hard to be in a relationship with somebody when you're angry every single day. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, that one's hard because, man, sometimes people burn you. And they burn you again. And they burn you again. You're like, love might not keep a record, but my humanity is showing. But love does protect which we're about to get there, right? It always protects. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 13. 
And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. All right, so here we are. I am telling you, how well do you love? Not how well do you lust after somebody in your life. Not how well are you passionate in your relationships. Not how well do you desire things. I love chocolate. No, I do not love chocolate. I desire chocolate. I have never taken chocolate to the movies. I have never kissed chocolate. I have never taken chocolate to the emergency room when it got broken up. I do not love chocolate. I desire chocolate. I'm just saying, we don't know what love means. Love is not desiring something. Love is doing something. Who do we do things for? Most of us just do things for ourselves. How much do we do for those in our household? Probably more than our neighbors, because we love them, right? We're, we're doing things for them. How much do we do for the people we work with, or the company we work for, your boss should know you're a Christian, not because you wear a Jesus pin, but because you're the best worker in that place. I love how the scripture says, do not work, right, for your boss or your masters in a sloppy way, right? Do good as you are working unto the Lord. Now, Mary, I don't do any of this stuff. Does that mean I'm going to hell? No but it means that the person around you can't necessarily tell you're a Christian. You go to heaven because you believe in Christ. You act like a Christian because you want to live life to the fullest. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may live life and live life to the full. When you break the commandments, there is curses associated with that. They are earthly curses. If I'm here on earth and I don't wash my hands before I eat, the, the issue I have is earthly. It's not spiritual. Now, some, some of our commandments, right, bitterness and anger, that does affect our spirit. That does affect our soul. How do we love? We love even when we don't feel like it or we're supposed to. We don't love for our benefit. We love for their benefit. Love is not, not selfish. It's not subjective. Does this person deserve to be loved? Right? You can love without crossing boundaries. You could protect. Love can get angry sometimes. But ultimately, love means doing things that are uncomfortable. That means working harder than you want to work. It means being more patient or kind than you think the person deserves. Sometimes it means keeping your mouth shut, which is really hard for a mouthpiece to do. I'm just saying. How do you love? I don't know. I think we all love a little bit differently because of our giftings. And I'm going to have the ushers come forward. We're going to have our communion tonight. 
When Christ went to the cross, he did this out of love. And what I found interesting is that one of the last acts he did was to wash the feet of the disciples. It says that he took off all of his garments, right, that represented his status, and he put on a servant's towel. So a servant that would be cleaning or doing things, getting down in the nitty-gritty, would literally just wrap a towel around their midsection and would go and would take things and clean and would get dirty. So that way their clothing didn't get dirty. We're going to bless that. Let's bless that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and I'll take a couple of those. Thank you. All right, so they're going to pass this around. If you believe in Jesus, you're welcome to join us in communion. Feel free to take off the plastic top and you'll have your wafer and then separate it from the juice, but hold on to the elements and we'll take it all together. So Jesus, as he's talking to these disciples who, you know, they've kind of had their moments. They weren't like all these guys that were like childhood friends that all paled around and loved each other. You know, I mean, they had one guy that's a zealot, which meant that he was kind of like anti the Roman government. And then you had another guy who was a tax collector who was working with the Roman government. I mean, he, he picked quite a crew. But Jesus says, look, 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 look. I'm going to be going to the cross. I'm going to die. But there's one thing I want you to be able to do. Follow my example. And he takes off his garments representing his status. And he puts on the servant's towel, which means he's going to get dirty. And he gets down on his hands and knees and he goes over to their feet and begins to wash them. Now, We've done, you know, foot washing before, and people are just like, oh, it tickles, and oh, I've got corns, and oh, my feet are rough. Well, that was nothing. I mean, back then, man, they didn't have work boots to wear. And they were out in the streets, and you, I don't know if you've ever been to Mackinac Island, but when the horses poop, they don't care. They're not looking for the restroom. They just go wherever. And now on Mackinac Island, you got somebody rolling around trying to scoop it up. Well, back then they didn't. So you would walk on your feet on these roads. And by the time you get to somebody's house, your feet would be covered with animal feces. It would smell. It would stink. And Jesus got down there and washed it off. And when he got to Peter, Peter was like, Lord, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, then I... Can, you can have nothing to do with me then. You either allow, right, God to love you so much that the filthiest part of you gets cleansed, or, or I can have nothing to do with you. And, and Peter says, then wash me from head to toe. Change my mind, because I want to have something to do with you. And he says, I only need to do your feet. You're clean. Your body's clean. Man, your feet got yucky when you walked through all that. See, most of us, when we accept Christ, we, you know, we, we got all cleaned up, but man, we still still walk through some poop once in a while. And out of love, Jesus served them. 
And then he looked at them all and he says, now do likewise for each other. That's not comfortable to strip off your status. Say, no, wait a minute, I've been the one that would walk into the room and everybody listened to me. No, to say, I'm going to strip off that status, I'm going to humble myself. I always find it interesting who's willing to scrub that toilet and clean that bathroom when it's messed up. There have been times where we've had events. I remember one time we had a little kid got sick, and of course he was too little to really realize, and he didn't puke in the in the toilet, he puked in the sink. That was so gross. But guess what? At the end of the night, most of the people left. Most of the women left. Most of the people that were running the event left. And there was only me and one other person left, and we were mopping and cleaning out vomit out of a sink. Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to take your status down to a point where you, because of love, can do that? Christ was so willing that he not only washed their feet, but then he went on and went to that cross. And he said, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he had given thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. He not only gave in his actions, but he gave of his flesh. So tonight, as we take this communion and we remember his sacrifice, may we not just think that he, he came to earth to show us you know, that he went to the cross, that we can be forgiven of our sins, we go to heaven when we die, and that's the end of it. Let's remember that he wants us to have a full life while we're here on earth. And that means his actions and how he loved is something that we can apply to our lives. And guess what? Your lives become bigger. Your joy becomes greater. Now, you're gonna, I, mean, I know, I'm like, I want you to take some of your Netflix time, and I want you to help somebody else. I want you to love them. I mean, you know, call me up. I'll put you in charge of doing some input on, on the computer. You can do it from home. I'll have you make me, you know, a newsletter. I'll have you, I, you can do all kinds of things. Turn off the Netflix and do that for a little bit. But somehow, when you do something for somebody else, your joy increases doesn't make sense. A lot of things about God don't make sense. But it's true. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this lesson about love. And as we take this communion, may we not only remember what you did on the cross for us, but may we remember your example that you set. You know every single person here and what is happening in their lives and where you've been whispering in their ear, encouraging them to do something and maybe they thought, no, they don't deserve it, or no, I need to keep that money in my accounts, or maybe I need to, you know, uh, spend more time doing this or that. I don't have time to do that. But Father God, you know where Satan's been tempting them to do selfish things and where you've been tempting them to do loving things because you are love. Help us as we walk in that love. And bless this communion to our bodies. May healing come to our bodies. May peace come to our soul, and may salvation come to our spirit, just as you tell us in Isaiah 53, 5, all the benefits of what Jesus did to the cross. We receive them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let us take the bread.
Father, we thank you that your body was crushed for us. Thank you for forgiving us and for helping us. We didn't deserve it, but you were willing. Verse 27, it says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us take the cup. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and remember what you did on the cross, and it was because of love. Help us to walk out of here and to love. Some of us need to start by loving our families. Help us, show us how you want us to love them. Some of us need to walk in love in our workplaces where we spend the majority of our time. And some of us need to be able to walk in love towards the special people we encounter, and you will show us the way. Father God, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So when we are tempted to do a selfish thing or to not be patient or to not be kind or to not protect, we ask you to intercede in our lives and whisper in our ear a little louder and remind us that we can walk in love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope all of you have a wonderful week. The Blessing Shop is open, and we will hopefully see you all next week. And if, you, again, you want to sign up to help with worship, children's ministry, our open hours, ushering, or the sound booth, uh, slides, please feel free to sign up in the back. God bless everyone. Bye-bye.